R E A R E A R E A R E A Audio Reemployability. I'm sure you know the answer to this question. How do you eat an elephant? It's one piece at a time, right? Or you know the phrase, you have to start somewhere? This week, Dr. Claire shares with us exactly where that first bite comes from when you're trying to change an industry. Check it out. So Dr. Claire Musselman, back again for a third part of our series of interviews. A nice surprise after we completed the first two, um, we were able to get back together and kind of finish through some of the questions that, that we didn't quite get to in the last, last couple episodes. So thanks so much for joining us. You were just in Florida recently, weren't you? I was. Thank you for having me back. I also got to spend some time with some of the amazing reemployability people. So it was wonderful. We had taken off that morning. It was negative 17 with wind chill in the great state of Iowa. Yeah. Landed through Miami where it was like 88 degrees and landed yes. in Tampa for our final destination. That's a pretty big swing. It is. Well, and it's interesting in Florida too. You can have almost, it's almost three different uh, climates. You can uh -huh. be up in Jacksonville and it can be 40 degrees colder than it is down in Miami. So glad you enjoyed your time here and some beach time, but we appreciate the time that you're taking to talk to us again today. We had um, finished up, we were talking about mindset last time. And, and taking that team that you're developing and, and really making a, making a culture change. So if you don't mind, just to get, for anybody that maybe didn't listen to the other two episodes, can you just give us a brief overview of um, what you're doing with your current company and kind of the transformation that you're making? Yeah, you got it. So we are building the first ever Workers' Compensation Center of Excellence. And it's really looking at combining expertise, education, communication, empathy, emotional intelligence, all of the, what we, I think, have previously identified as what are called soft skills, which are actually the most incredibly hard skills to get people very strong and comfortable deploying. But really taking, not looking at it from a technical standpoint so much, but what do we do after you've got that technical stuff? because it's what's going to separate us in the industry from other people when we look at the mindset and the shift that we want to take. And actually today I published our credo for our workers empowerment specialists. And it's very different than what people have seen before when we talk about like, okay, so what really makes your group different? Who are these people and what do you do? Um, so we talk about how we've got this empowerment team. We're calling them the workers empowerment team because it's our goal that everyone within our team, the workers empowerment team feels empowered and that they can do that for other people. So we talk about how our specialists are passionate because they're energetic, they're curious. They look to actively craft and create happiness within them, their selves. Because a lot of what we do is how we show up to work every day. And so if we have, you know, grumpy, quote unquote, crusty claims professionals, we're going to approach people from a different aspect right. than people that are happy and that are taken care of, or they feel like they're seen, heard, acknowledged and valued, which can then help uh, injured workers with their recovery and goals. Mm -hmm. We look at being creative and innovative. Our team is confident because they know who they are. Like we are here to be different. We are not here to be your standard uh, adjusters or claims representatives. We're here to create trends such as having titles that matter and are meaningful, like talking about people being workers empowerment specialists. And I was talking to a friend earlier today where she said, well, where do you even start when you're building programs like this? And I said, you have to start with language 
because what you say and the words that you use are what your mind hears. And so if you're trying to create a mindset shift, using the word claimant versus injured worker is gonna tell you a very different story. Being called a claimant versus being called an injured worker tells a very different story. And so when we're looking at the, the determination that it takes to create and embark on a journey like this, it's not a one and done type thing, but it actually has to evolve from the mindset. And the very first step to that mindset shift is looking at the language that we use. And one of the examples that I like to give with this is modified duty versus light duty. And what we think of a lot of times people think that they should be used interchangeably. And I would beg to differ because if you are someone who has had shoulder surgery and you're trying to lift 10 pounds, which ends up being about a gallon of milk, that can be very, very challenging. And you could be really pushing it and trying everything within your will. And we come through and say, well, I mean, it's a light duty, like that's light. Okay, but it might not be for that person. So what we've done a lot of times is we cast these very broad nets of in terms of vocabulary without thinking about the power that the words hold when they're used. And so a lot of that is a shift. And with that, you can then get mindset to shift. And when we start focusing on those soft skills, which again, I said are a lot harder to focus and mold, that's where we get things going and when we get things moving in the right direction. And so a lot of this stems from having the same vision of where we're going, because we're all going to row in the same direction. It just might be little different nuances in how we get there. But we look at, we're here to change the industry. We're ambitious. We're driven to make good things happen for people. And in an industry that hasn't necessarily taken that approach, this is where we're going to use our power to empower others, because no matter what seat you sit in, all of us collectively can make a better space for one another. We can shake up the workers' compensation world, understand that ripple effect, and get to understand how each decision, every encounter, and every conversa conversation that we have actually impacts the greater whole. So we have, um, we have risk managers and folks from the employer side that listen to this podcast as well. So looking from the perspective of a workers' empowerment specialist or an adjuster um, from your team, um, what are the types of things that risk managers, employers, what do they need to keep in mind when they're trying to manage an, inward, an injured worker back to work from, from your type of team's perspective, not a traditional, but yours? So the number one thing that I love to tell risk managers and especially like work comp contacts, you've got to have that direct leader involved. If you are a leader of people, you have to have an understanding of workers' compensation because these are your people. So getting to understand that that direct connection to their boss who oversees them, who is that person for them has to stay involved. And a lot of times that's the first person to go like, oh, you've been injured. Okay, we'll go talk to HR, go talk to the work comp rep, go talk to the risk manager or the safety, whoever it is that's overseeing that department, they get handed off and there's no more communication. And so when we get claims, and I think that this is very true on the carrier side as well as TPA, we can't fix the animosity that happens when that break or that disconnect occurs when the injured worker is no longer with their work family. And I know people have their different perspectives on what a work family is, et cetera, but there is a very real social circle that exists in a work dynamic. And to have that main point of contact, that boss, that person who's been with this person that hired them, that brought them into the team, to have that person now removed and not talking to the injured work anymore is absolutely detrimental to the claim. So having them continue to stay involved, we're not asking them to ask for medical information. We're not asking for anything like that. 
We're literally asking you to be a good human being and check in on someone that you thought was worthy enough to be a part of your team. They have an unforeseen accident and now it's time to try and get them back to work, back to life. That whole work comp claim, you should be staying in touch with them, especially if they're off work. It costs nothing to be a good human being, takes about 10 seconds to send a text message. There's no excuse to not have that direct leader. And I understand that I hear, because I've talked to a lot of employers over the years, they're like, well, we're just so big. It should be instilled in your culture, in your leadership teams. So if you are, if say you have a great organization that's at a very large scope, this should be a talking point at some, at some time along onboarding or within that cultural dynamic that is talked about because that is the single most important thing that I wish people realized. Because once they come to us and we hear, I hate my boss, haven't heard from them, or nobody on my team wants me back, all of these things create this emotional hijacking concept that can influence how an injured worker heals. Because when people worry, worry can cause inflammation of the body and when the body is inflamed, it doesn't heal. And so when we're looking at it from these capacities, there's a very real mind-body connection throughout this. And this is one of the easiest ways to alleviate the fear of the unknown. I just think it's such an easy, easy concept for any organization to adapt to. It's just gotta be from day one. And as you said, it doesn't have to be anything personal. It can just be uh, a text, uh, a handwritten note, a phone call, an email, just any kind of communication saying, hey, thinking of you, hope everything's going well. Anything you need, please reach out. Absolutely. And it's a wonderful time to also keep the lines of communication open in case something gets dropped on the carrier or the TPA side. Because what we don't know can hurt us. And I was given this example earlier today too. One of the other things I think that we really fail to do a good job of communicating outside of transportation and mileage reimbursement, which is always fascinating to me, is what happens, well, one, let's talk about the transportation and mileage thing. I think that should be explained whether you're on the employer side or you're on the adjuster side, because it's the easiest thing for an attorney to say, well, have you at least been reimbursed for mileage? Mm -hmm. And when they say no, and it's like, well, well, what else are they not reimbursing you for? So that's one of the caveats to how to avoid litigation right there. Mm -hmm. um, but the second component is medical bills. So when an injured worker might receive a medical bill to their house, they automatically assume that we're not paying it. We being the TPA, the employer or the carrier, depending on how your, how your, um, your workers' compensation program is structured. What really happens is that maybe whoever put in the insurance build insurance one versus insurance two and maybe work comp is insurance two. It's usually a system thing, not specific to the injured worker. It's just how the system is set up for billing purposes. Mm -hmm. So from an employer stance, making sure they know if the employee ever gets, an, it gets a bill, let us know because we want to make sure we take care of it for you. Same thing on our side. If our workers empowerment specialists are talking to an injured worker, we want to make sure that if any bills go to you, we need to know because we don't want you getting sent to collections. And it was probably a fluke. Mm -hmm. But from an injured worker standpoint, you get that bill and you automatically think it's because somebody's not paying. And again, these are common misconceptions. They're very widespread throughout the industry. But this is where the power of communication is so important of just explaining these things on the front end to help alleviate those fears when this thing could occur. One of the things we hear from employers at reemployability when we encourage communication, because that, I mean, you, 
you're right on. That's exactly what we tell people is you have to communicate with your injured worker in order for our program to work appropriately. A lot of the things we hear is from the employer is fear. They're afraid that if they communicate, then that's a, a greater chance for them to say something quote unquote wrong that might encourage litigation. And really it's the opposite. The better the communication, the less likely that is to happen. I completely agree. Yeah. So what if you take that question that I originally asked and flip it around? So what do you hear from the employer side that you've implemented with your teams to make the, that adjuster-employer relationship focused and more effective? So one of the things that I think that's really great about our workers' empowerment team is that when we have an injured worker, we are looking at this from a team perspective and we establish accountabilities throughout the process so that the injured worker stays empowered not only with us, but also with their employer. So it's creating accountabilities about, hey, this is what we're gonna do for you, this is what we expect from you. So for example, after doctor's appointments, I wanna talk to you. Make sure you send me your patient status report, but also check in with your employer. Make sure that they know what is also going on because we are a collective team. And this is where we encourage our employers to also say the same thing, like make sure we're all on the same page making sure we pass that information back and forth between uh, us as the insured or the TPA, but, or as the insurance carrier or the TPA, but also that if they get information that we're continuing to talk as well. Because after that doctor's appointment, we all really need to reconvene and see what's going on. Are there changes? Is there anything that we need to do? Is Are we waiting for healing to continue? Like what's the next process? And I hate the term waiting, but so we collaborate to figure out what's our next movement forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think with that, it's so important that we keep that relationship open and that we encourage the injured worker to keep the lines of communication open on both sides. Mm -hmm. So it's not just checking in with us, but also checking in with your employer so that there is that accountability on both sides. With that, the injured worker gets to tell their story twice in that process. Mm -hmm. And when they do that, that's also helping them understand one, what just transpired at the medical appointment. And two, it opens up any gaps or loopholes of things that they didn't hear because you're gonna get asked different questions by your workers empowerment specialist, your adjuster, your claims representative, or you're gonna get asked questions from your employer that you might've forgotten about. So it's a good way to check for understanding from an adult learning perspective of, okay, what did you hear? And it gives you the opportunity to be heard in multiple facets because you have to retell the story of what just occurred. Mm -hmm. And through that, that can help people process and understand what is happening. Um, you know, if it might be something that's detrimental or they're headed for surgery and they're gonna be scared, you know, there's just a lot of things that can go into that processing of what is going to come next. Mm -hmm. And so by telling that story again, in more than one context, they're being able to be seen, heard and acknowledged on multiple fronts and then it's coming back together as that team approach to say, okay, we understand this is what just happened. What are our next steps to move forward as a team so that you know that we're driving you forward to get back to work, back to life? I'm just I'm just kind of smiling because before we started recording, we were talking about our teenage kids. Yes. And, and that sounds like a practical way to kind of deal with them, right? You got to tell your story to me and to your mom so that yes. you can uh, make sure that we're getting the <laughs> whole thing. That's great. Um, so and are there any practical pieces of advice that you can give for when an employer, right? Because you are a, uh, employers are your clients, right? So, yeah. and as is the case with reemployability, sometimes we get some, uh, some employers that want to utilize our services, but they don't necessarily want to do it our way. They say, I'm hiring you to do this. 
you should be doing that. So when you have an employer that kind of takes that perspective on things, obviously we want to be as uh, uh, helpful to our uh, clients as possible, but we want to bring them on board to our way of doing things because we know that that's the right way to do it. Do you have any practical words of advice for anybody that wants to try to kind of convert that, that, that feeling that an employer has that, hey, I'm hiring you to do this, you do it, I'm not talking to that person? So I really think that there is a multitude of facets that go into thinking about something like this when we're looking at implementing a program such as reemployability. The transparency has to be at the forefront. I think this is when I look at how we've created these dynamic communication groups is what I'm going to call them from being on the carrier side or being on the TPA side. You know, we create these new quote unquote thought leadership groups that are changing the face of workers' compensation. What they are is just more effective communication models to help understand human learning, human development, and the human healing process. So when we look at this, I think there's got to be transparency, there has to be authenticity, and we have to have clarity in the communication process. So from an employer side, I understand that they really just like, you guys do it, I don't want to talk to them. But at one point you hired this person, this is your team member, they're part of your organization. You've got to stay engaged in this process because if you don't and there's something that goes wrong, what you don't know can hurt you. I think that's very important. But being transparent along the process so that everyone is of the same understanding because sometimes when we start implementing you know, third party processes that are to help the injured worker, sometimes there can get there, it can be muddy. So we've got to be clear and we've got to be authentic. I think explaining the science behind why it's important that we want to get you back into a work environment, understanding how it impacts the healing process, it impacts the ego, it impacts your psyche, it impacts how you're taking care of yourself. It's going to impact how you are social, what your socialization is like, how you're interacting with your family and friends, how you see yourself, what is actually happening through your healing process. All of these elements stem back to the communication models of being authentic and, hey, we're really here to help you. And I know a lot of times people focus on, well, it's about saving money. Yeah, and I agree with that. There is a lot of the financial stuff, but if you do right by human beings in the workers' compensation space and you take care of them and you explain the why, why we're doing this, this is going to benefit you and you give the research or the statistics or explain the science behind why this will help them, you're going to get better collective buy-in, which will then have, you know, people will then, you know, go along the path that we've created together as a team. And it makes it much easier to get somebody to buy into what we're gonna do so we can go down this journey and thus you save money from doing it that way. The problem is the industry as a whole tends to take the viewpoint of let's profit on human suffering versus let's collaborate to alleviate human suffering, mm -hmm. which is technically where the money saving comes in. Mm -hmm. It's just we've focused so heavy on let's pinch all the pennies possible and not actually focus on the human elements which drive those outcomes to begin with. Mm -hmm. so it's, it's a much more holistic approach, right? It is. To things. Yeah, for Humans sure. are multifaceted, multifunctional, multidimensional, multi-emotional people. The fact that we've kind of flipped the script for the, I don't know how many years, is kind of beyond me and very bizarre, especially when you look at all the, the research from the biopsychosocial models, psychology, sociology, social determinants of health, psychosocial factors, all of this showcases, this is why you should be focusing on this first. Mm -hmm. And then the financial stuff comes. Awesome. Dr. Claire, will you come back for one more part to our uh, four part series next week? 
Love it. Thank you Terrific. so much for your time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to REA Audio. This week, Lisa and Sherry from our sales team are going to take us home. If you have any comments or suggestions for an upcoming episode, let us know. Email Todd at reemployability.com. Also, please follow REA Audio on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast. You can also check out more content at listen to rea.com. Next week, we'll wrap up with Dr. Claire as she discusses how to empower your team and yourself to accomplish your purpose. She'll share some examples of how the right mindset leads to success as well. Have an awesome and impactful rest of your day.